It is with great excitement that in 2021, we are blessed to have two new sponsors for the CT Startup Podcast. One of those sponsors is CT Next, an organization each one of our hosts, as well as many of our guests and listeners have had the opportunity and pleasure of interacting with. I'm going to let Glendalyn Thames, Deputy Commissioner of the DCD and Founding Executive Director of CT Next, explain what CT Next does for early stage businesses here in Connecticut. So what is CT Next? Our, our mission um, fundamentally is really to equip early stage companies and entrepreneurs with resources, guidance, um, networks to accelerate their, their growth um, and, and really creating an environment where our entrepreneurs can really start their business, grow their business and thrive in Connecticut and positioning Connecticut as the most desirable location in the country for an innovative company to build and grow and create jobs. And we do this, uh, you know, a few different ways, right? Um, one by, you know, really cultivating a network of public-private partnerships and really acting as a catalyst um, that supports entrepreneurs from ideation and growth to exits. Um, but then also, you know, providing direct funding to companies as well. So we have many programs um, that are non-dilutive capital to help accelerate kind of the early stages of growth of a company. Um, and then, you know, we, we offer uh, other programming relative to, you know, again, building that, that, in, that community infrastructure across our state. So if you think about, you know, incubators, accelerators, co-working spaces where that, that dynamic knowledge sharing is happening and where kind of innovation actually starts and, and occurs. For more information, please visit www.ctnext.com. This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Welcome to CT Startup. Hello, everybody. We're uh, welcome back for another episode of the CT Startup Podcast. This uh, this podcast is going to be another one in the series of uh, you know the innovation places uh, work that's happening uh, in Hartford and the the players uh, in that. Uh, one of the good things about this podcast is that we get to talk to all the like all different types of players within the ecosystem. It's not just entrepreneurs. It's not just the the uh, investors. But it's the corporate partners that really kind of uh, help drive this. And this is what this podcast is going to be about. I'm uh, I'm joined with uh, our newest uh, uh, co-host uh, Ojala Neem. How you doing, Ojala? Doing good, Eric. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. And so today on the podcast, we have uh, Vice President of Business Development Marty Guay of Stanley Black and Decker. How are you doing, Marty? I'm doing I'm doing well, Eric. And I appreciate the uh, opportunity to be here with you and Ojala. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're happy to, to happy end. I, I would have to say though, Jal is one of the best connectors in the in in the city of Hartford and beyond. So I'm not surprised I'm getting an invitation. Uh, so I, I do appreciate it. No, of course, Marty, and uh, thank you for the kind words. But you know, can't have a podcast without Marty. He's got to be one of the <laughs> the friendliest, the most intriguing uh, innovation players in the scene right now. And Marty, you've just You've really kickstarted some great uh, innovation work, not just for Stanley, but trying to build it around 
Hartford and Stanley's roots and ties to Connecticut. So tell us what you've got cooking on over at Black and Decker. Well, we, we um, you know, we're, we're committed to, um, you know, we're committed to the community. We're committed to the company. We're committed to our employees and customers. And, you know, when Jim Lurie, our CEO, came in in 2015, he, he had three really core uh, objectives. One was top quartile performance and our stock price is a proxy for that. The second is to be known as one of the world's most innovative companies. And, you know, that's full stop. That's not industrial innovative or Connecticut innovative. That's one of the world's most innovative. So we've really activated a really impressive uh, innovation ecosystem, which I'm privileged to be a part of. Uh, and the third initiative, and you see these um, strategies manifested in the community, but it's really around our commitment to um, corporate social responsibility and ESG. And you see that in the form of our diversity, equity, inclusion programs, our sustainability initiatives, uh, and just flat out our intent to make the world a better place while we uh, do the work we need to do inside the company and perform the way we need to to earn that right. So it's a, it's a great place to be, uh, but the expectations are high and, and um, inside and outside the company and everyone uh, likes that. We, we like to have really important objectives to, uh, to, to strive for. Yeah, those are, those are excellent business objectives. And I gotta imagine, you know, innovation has to be living in the, the blood and backbone of Stanley Black & Decker, right? You're, you guys are around, as your wonderful Zoom background says, since 1843. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're right there with the, the wonderful insurance carriers here, here in Hartford. And, you know, for a company to, to not just stick around, but be thriving after so many years, there's there's had to have been innovation throughout the process, right? Um, what what do you think are some of the kind of key historical innovation moments for the company? Um, and then I'd love to dive into kind of what you guys are doing now from that perspective as well. Right. So I'll you know the, the company is you know our purpose is for those uh, who make the world because we're the largest tool maker in the world. Our tools make the world. Uh, so we're always making things and we've been making things for 178 years and helping people make things too. So it's always been about, you know, innovating, tinkering, um, perfecting, disrupting, transforming. So although we didn't call it that over the last almost two centuries, that has what has been happening through, you know, depressions and wars and, 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 different things we've always uh stayed true to our our um our dna which is really making things so we, we've you know we know that innovation is is the ultimate competitive advantage and that sometimes is in the form of technology sometimes it's in the form of business model or go to market or um you know how we work with our customers but i can assure you that everyone inside the company this is top of mind how do we get better, be better, a better place to work, a better place to uh, to do things for our customers. And then after we do that, we look to give back to the community because we know that we're one you know, part of that and we look to help and enable all other stakeholders inside the ecosystem. So that's been a, a really great um, 
uh, initiative inside the company. I think we've done this for a long time, but we've really contextualized it well in the last few years through Jim Lurie's leadership around um, and the whole executive team around, you know, really um, putting clear objectives around these, you know. Yeah, yeah. So being around for that many years, I mean, you obviously went through ups and downs, right? Different, different kind of uh, periods in our in our uh, uh, history. So I guess like what happened this past year? It seemed to, to me, it seems like a lot of people are doing stuff. I mean, I know I built a patio, right? I know I've been to Home Depot a lot. So what happened with uh, your consumer base? Were people, you know, using more tools? Were they tinkering more? Were they building more? Well, it, it, it didn't. Yes, yes, and yes. But it didn't really start like that. So we we saw the, you know, we have um, factories and distributions throughout the world, uh, and we saw the impact in China January 17th, uh, and our global supply chain team started holding meetings twice a day since then to really adjust to a, a supply compression. If you remember, China had the, 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 the virus, they were, may have been late to notify everybody, but when they did, it was the beginning of January, and then we saw shutdowns in China come mid-January, uh, and then they extended it through the Chinese New Year, which is like two more weeks. So we saw this disruption coming. What we didn't, I don't say we, what, what was surprising uh, was the, the supply compression came in January and February. The demand compression came in March. So everything just stopped. So I remember everyone talking about China in February, like it was over there. And then people were talking about Italy, you know, something was wrong over there. And then all of a sudden it's in New York and people in Texas are talking about all the problems in New York, but it went everywhere, right? I mean, it just, it was a timing issue. And I think everything stopped uh, mid-January everywhere. We saw a big compression. Uh, and we did what most people would do. We, 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 we got completely responsible. The first priority was protecting our employees and our contractors and anyone interacted with us. Uh, the second thing was really getting our nose around the business, around cost and everything else. But then uh, as we did that, and we were kept open because we were an essential business, tools are actually required to to build the world. We have a lot of other businesses. Our security business is the second largest electronic security business in the world. We have a healthcare business. We have an industrial business. These businesses stayed open going through different levels of compression. And then all of a sudden we found in May that everyone was sitting home looking at their ceiling or their railing or their porch and saying, we got to fix that. So we saw a big, big movement to do it yourself and the outdoor business too, because people were in their yards. They said, you know what? I need to go buy a, a chainsaw or a weed whacker. So we, our business really started to, uh, to take off at the end of Q2. And, and uh, it's been really, I think Jim Lurie said it best on our last, one of his last calls, the business has been on fire. You know, the organic growth in the tools business has been, you know, three to four times higher than what it was in the past. So, you know, then you have to catch up to all that, right? You got to catch up to all that. And, and then you have to innovate and do all your other things at the same time. So yeah, it was a tough, was a tough year, you know, and, but, but safety of our people was job one always from the first day. And, 
I think the team did a great job because our factories stayed open. Uh, so we had to make sure that people had the PPE, people had the protocols, people in the US, people in Mexico, Brazil, Europe, the Far East. So we, we, we really, we still focus on it every day. That's another focus for us is mm-hmm. safety. It's actually kind of interesting how you say is that like, you know, since you're such a global company, uh, you know, a massive supplier in different, you know, or you have uh, parts of different the world where supplying the US, right? You yeah. started seeing you, you see things sometimes before the general public, right before uh, yeah. what, what's kind of happening. And it's kind of interesting. You say January 17th, I came home, home from my honeymoon on January 11th from New Zealand, and they were testing people and we were leaving New Zealand from China because they have a, bit, a lot of people coming from China over there, right? And then when we came back, my, my wife's in a, in a, uh, as a nurse. And so she, everybody was sick, right? She came back to, to something that was kind of what, so it's like certain industries see it, see it before others. Um, and you have to adjust and you start kind of thinking through what the impacts and sometimes the impacts aren't necessarily what you thought, right? Which is the the big boom with the tools, right? You didn't, you probably didn't think that people were going to start doing that. <laughs> even even the, even the stock market. I, I would say that I remember talking to people at the end of, you know, middle middle of April, end of April, and you know, people had their their four hundred one ks become two hundred one ks, and you know, everything just got slashed and cut, and you know, but it did bounce back. And if you told me that the stock market was going to go up then eighty percent, I would say you know, in April, I would invest. say, yeah, like, in, yeah, invest, but it was, you know, it's a, it, you know, people saw a lot of things coming, but I don't know if people saw the amount of demand in certain areas coming. I think everyone was just really in self-preservation mode as they should be in taking care of themselves and their family, mm-hmm. uh, and the employers taking care of their customers. And I know I talked to a lot of different people around Hartford, uh, the employers did a real nice job taking care of their employees, which is it's great to see, right? Yeah, that that, that was definitely a big, um, you know, important factor. Which it, it was really great to see that you know no one was saying it doesn't matter coming to work. This is not real, you know, whatever, et cetera. But um, so so there was a lot of innovation in business models, right, for larger corporations, but also a lot of small startups. The pandemic required different things on the manufacturing end, all of a sudden you saw things like, you know, breweries and distilleries start making hand sanitizers. And you saw places that never thought about paper masks start thinking about how they can make surgical masks or N95s or, you know, whatever it is that they were able to do. I'm, I'm curious, you know, in the in the manufacturing world, did you see um, any interesting shifts in, in business models or production models to, to kind of account for what the new demands were? Well, I mean, what we did was we we did what everyone else did. What we put up safety measures, distancing. Everyone got checked with temperature coming in. So the protocols were really tight that you really had to follow it. And if you didn't have to go in the office or have a job like that, you didn't, because you didn't want to be part of accelerating a problem. You want to be part of mitigating a problem. But we, you know, we did, we had a lot of examples inside the company of people 3D printing face shields or making masks. We worked on a project with uh, 3M and Ford Motor Company to make ventilators back in April. So we were making ventilators. We used, you know, part of the, part of our our drills for, for power and 3M worked on the filter and Ford had another component and um, you know, I think people came together in a real good way. I mean, 
you know how it is in life when a problem comes, some people, some people hide, some people step up. And I think most people stepped up, you know, as we know, it got a little bit political, but, um, you know, I think overall, when, when the push came to shove, people, people did the right thing, right? I don't, I didn't see too many reckless people, even outside of, of our business, right? I think people did the right things. Yeah. They may have said otherwise, they may have, you know, been a bit more bravado, but, you know, people, people want to live. Yeah. So, so we've talked a little bit about kind of the global impacts that we saw uh, in this last year. Let's, let's shift gears a little, obviously, you know, CT startup podcast, let's talk about Connecticut. So um, start with, you know, pre-pandemic. So Stanley Black & Decker a few years ago made an excellent decision to partner up with Techstars and bring a Techstars accelerator here into into Hartford. Um, you guys opened up your manufacturing 4.0 in uh, in downtown and Constitution Plaza. Can you tell us a little bit about like what what was the purpose of the manufacturing? Why did you bring Techstars in? Like what was the vision behind all of that? Yeah, I'll start with the manufacturing. I mean, we we want to we want to be a leader in global advanced manufacturing, and we also have a desire to make Connecticut a leader in advanced manufacturing. There's 10% of the workforce in Connecticut is manufacturing. There's 160,000 jobs. You know, and as you know, these are these are people that make nuclear submarines and Black Hawk helicopters and Marine One and, and parts of the F-35 and everything else. So, you know, for us, Connecticut advanced manufacturing is important for us and we believe it's important for Connecticut to become a leader in advanced manufacturing. So about three years ago, we opened up the manufacturing 4.0 in, in Constitution Plaza. Because we had 130 factories and distribution centers around the world, we took an enterprise approach to say, you know, how do we get all of the uh, sites up to industry 4.0? There's a lot of innovation happening around robotics, cell automation, industrial IoT, data analytics, data science, blockchain. So we wanted to be out in the forefront and really um, and really catch the productivity in that because jobs are going in manufacturing, they're becoming high tech. You know, they're not gonna be dull, dirty and dangerous anymore and working with your hands. They're gonna be working with your heads and, and, and working with robots and software. Uh, I remember talking to the um, the former CEO when he was the CEO of Pratt & Whitney, Bob Ledoux, about his workforce, 19,000 people, you know, in Connecticut at Pratt & Whitney. And he said, Marty, we, we're looking for welders who can do software diagnostics because all of these, all of these things have become high tech. So, so we believe Connecticut's in a really enviable place because the workforce is, is really high end. Jobs are not gonna be shipped out. Uh, they can't be shipped out from Connecticut anymore because they're just too complicated and they're too important. And we believe as manufacturing goes high tech, Connecticut's in a really great spot to capitalize on that. And people will need to be very skilled up to work in factories. These aren't, this isn't your father's factory anymore, right? As they say. And, so we're pretty excited about that. So we built that center of excellence in Hartford, and then we bring in other companies in Connecticut to, to learn and look. We bring in uh, partners that we have like Rockwell Automation or Ready Robotics, 
or Fanuc Robotics to, to help other companies in the ecosystem. Uh, we, we're a big believer in helping the community. So we, we've used it as that. The Techstars Accelerator was really uh, brought in around the same time and really focused on the startup community in areas where we didn't have expertise. Now we have a lot of experts in additive, additive manufacturing, which is basically 3D printing for manufacturing. But we wanted to see what the world was, was working on. So we, we had seven companies from outside the US, three from inside the US come to Hartford and work on metal 3D printing, work on ceramic 3D printing, work on material science. So we learned a lot the first year and the second year we did that plus sustainable packaging because we have a commitment that all of our packaging in five years will be uh, reusable, recyclable, or biodegradable. So when you don't have this competence inside the company, you got to go outside the company to find it. So that's really was the genesis of that investment. And we really, we learned a lot. We work with a lot of other corporates in the process around the world. So we really met a lot of people we would have never have met through the accelerator. So which is kind of fun, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, I will have to say is it uh, it was fun to interact with you. You know, uh, this past year through TechStars, I was able to uh, do a project over at Sacred Heart University, kind of a similar type of a project, not an accelerator, but uh, you know, kind of innovation project. Uh, another type of uh, uh, again, another type of actor again in an innovation ecosystem doing work. Um, and so one thing that uh, kind of uh, came to you know. When people think about startups, uh, I think the old uh, kind of it's kind of funny, the old thing about Mark, Mark Zuckerberg is, you know, in his 30s and he was younger and stuff, but it's like a startup founder is young and, you know, kind of uh, out of their garage and so forth. But when it comes to manufacturing, you're talking about material science, you're talking about some stuff that like that's some, you know, a lot of knowledge and a lot of industry knowledge has to kind of go into some of these processes. So like who are the types of people coming into the these accelerators? Are they in, you know, kind of older kind of uh, people that have been in the industry that are saying, you know what, I, I have something now that, that can really change it. It's a good question. I mean, I mean, what we're seeing in this, and we, we scrubbed when we, when we put something, uh, a theme out there this year, our theme is AI and advanced manufacturing. We actually scrubbed the whole global ecosystem and we hold office hours in Israel. We go visit London. We go, we go all the world, all over the world to find these startups. And, you know, they're in our first cohort, we had P we've had a lot of PhDs, a lot of uh, people holding patents. There's a really, um, there's a really lot of smart people working on these problems. Uh, so we, we felt really good about the cohort. Uh, but the other thing that we're trying to do and we feel is just as important is that talent through the globe is pretty homogenized. It's pretty distributed everywhere throughout the world. Talent is everywhere. Opportunity is a bit spiky. It's not as uniform, right? So we, what we're trying to do is activate the ecosystem inside of Hartford because we believe there's a lot of diverse talent in the city that doesn't have a lot of great forum or opportunity to, to, to create, to innovate, uh, and to build. So we're really keen on helping enable an entrepreneurial ecosystem in Connecticut and, and in, in many ways in the, in, the, in the cities because the cities have a lot of talent 
that's not activated. So we believe there's, there's a lot of people we can bring in, but there's a lot of people here that we need um, to help activate because they've got great ideas. I mean, the ideas, you know, there's smart people everywhere. That's what we've learned. I mean, we find people in remote India who, who, who can do things and we find people in North Hartford that can do things too, right? So we got to look in both places, which makes it fun, right? Because we believe in, we believe in people, right? Mm-hmm. So how you've had companies come in, um, you know, they've, they've kind of engaged with Stanley, they've engaged with some of your partners. How has the, you know, relationship with tech stars and bringing in some of these startups to Hartford, how do you think that's impacted the broader innovation ecosystem? Um, I, I, it's interesting because, you know, you guys almost uh, definitely on your own decided, hey, we're going to do this. Um, we're going to kick off a relationship with, with Techstars. But it was almost around the same time as the Hartford InsurTech Hub was getting online and the MedTech Accelerator was getting online. So it really built into this like interesting synergy of innovation happening within the city. So from your perspective, you know, what, what have some of the impacts been and how have you been able to tie in and connect in with some of those under other industries or other activities happening as well? Well, it, 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 the, the good part about it, when you see such different industries doing the same thing, you know that innovation is, a, is a com- not only a competitive advantage, but it's an existential moment. You have to do it, right? If you don't do it, you're not going to survive. So I got very close with the med tech and would go visit Dr. Barry Stein at Hartford HealthCare and you know, visit the insure tech with startup boot camp uh, with Don and, you know, spent a lot of time with Shauna at Upward Hartford. And I spent a lot of time and with the startups that I meet with all the startups, because what we've, what we have found is that a lot of founders, a lot of entrepreneurs are working on what I call horizontal technology. So when you have um, the Hartford insurance company, has an industrial, has a IOT center because they want to put sensors at their customer locations to get data to find out what's going on because the more information and predictability you get, the more you can manage risk. Well, Hartford Steam Boiler is doing the same thing on the industrial side. So all of a sudden, and we're doing it in factories, we're putting industrial IOT so we can see What's the vibration of equipment in Poland? What's the oil pressure of equipment in Brazil? What's the throughput of equipment in in Mexico? So so for us, there's more in common than not in common when people pick these themes around data analytics or AI or IoT, you know, the, the robotics. I mean, there's a lot of industries that can use these. So that was a big learning for me. You know, when I talk to the people at Hartford Healthcare about robotics, you know, and I'm thinking about what we're doing in factories and they're telling me about robots being used in surgery. I'm like, wow, this is this is really interesting. Right. So we have more in common than not. And I think we have to learn from each other. Some of the technologies will be core. Some will be tangential, but the learnings we can all benefit from. I think that's a great point, Marty. I mean, we, you know, I'm seeing that from sort of the insurance side, like at the end of the day, regardless of the industry that you're in, things like AI, machine learning, robotics, IoT, sensors, all of that is pretty much hitting every single industry out there, right? In yeah. some way, shape or form. And 
um, it, I am hopeful that we're headed in a direction where we're able to leverage the learnings from each other more and figure out how do we attract more talent and attract more companies to Hartford to work with all of us collectively, right? So that's not so much just about that manufacturing company that's focused on, um, you know, AI for Stanley, but like, right. how do you expand the learnings that are coming out of those technologies? So um, no, that's, that's pretty great stuff. So you've, you've been kind of in the ecosystem for, you know, the innovation ecosystem here in Hartford for, for several years now. Um, what do you see being some of the biggest challenges and gaps for, for Hartford and, and, and maybe even broader in, in Connecticut? Um, I don't know if there's gaps. I, 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 you could say there's gaps and I, I'm a believer in life. I was gonna say, that, you're, you're being kind, Marty. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm a big believer in life that we're not doing anything wrong. We're just yeah. not doing enough things right. And I think the things that we can do right is first of all, you know, the culture around collaboration. Uh, again, we, you know, people tend to stick in their, um, in their own organization. And I, what I, what the big takeaway for me was, was that all of the corporates are working with startups, but the corporates should be working together more because, you know, they're doing things around 5G or quantum computing or cyber or, there's a whole lot of things going on that we can actually benefit from. Uh, so we go out to a startup working on this, who's from, you know, Austin, Texas or Seattle, they come to Hartford and we're going to learn from them. But I can assure you the, the innovation ecosystem at the travelers uh, has a heck of a lot of wisdom too. And, and we can benefit from that. So I've actually signed um, NDAs with a lot of corporates in Connecticut and outside of, Connecticut around the world to start sharing, you know, these are non-competitive, of course, right? But sharing, you know, you, you're you're the world, you're a Fortune 100, and you're the world leader in this area. Let's talk about places that we can collaborate on or learn from each other and pick a pick a case that we can work together on, right? So it's to build business, it's to innovate, it's to learn. But it's shocking how big their innovation departments are and how much knowledge they have and you know I, these are for these are global 100 companies and I'm you don't need to go that big but it's amazing what people are working on uh, because I think we have to help each other in areas of non-competitive and then we have to distribute down to the the smaller companies and help them we got to make you know, it yeah. And, and so I, I will have to say, so I've never worked in a large kind of a corporation. Techstars is the biggest company that I ever worked for. Uh, and that, they're like three, 400 people, right? Nothing, nothing back compared to you guys. And what has been interesting to, for me to see, and Ojala is kind of a, um, a representation of this because she was from the startup ecosystem, then went to work into one of these larger companies, is that there's more champions or it's seemingly more champions within these bigger companies that want to kind of push for innovation and innovate within. Um, I would assume there's a lot of processes, a lot of stuff that you can innovate within uh, and again, connect to the other corporate partners. So uh, from the outside, it, it, seemingly it's happening. I think over the past 10 years, no job, maybe you could uh, disagree or, or agree or disagree, but it seems like Connecticut and the players are more and more collaborative each year. It's it, not, you know, it's not, it's not going in the opposite direction, right? I think it's like you said, uh, uh, Marty, it's like, you know, we're doing more right each year, uh, you know, uh, and so forth. So, and, 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 you know, 
10, 10, 15 years ago, these conversations wouldn't happen between corporates. So people realize now, if it's non-competitive and you protect your, your information, uh, I was talking to a, guy, uh, a fellow last week about working on something. And I said, how many people are in your company? He said, half a million. Half a million people. Now, you don't think there's a, a, you know, a, a, some really interesting stuff going on inside that business? There sure is. And then, you know, that people inside that business are working with universities and different people. So I think it takes, you know, for the solar system to work, it takes all the different ingredients, all the different um, components, right? They all matter. Everything matters, right? I, I was I was talking to somebody about, um, you know, about the airline industry and they're like, well, what's, you know, the pilots are so important. I said, well, listen, the guy fixing the engine or the person who's greasing the wheel or pumping up the tires. I mean, everyone matters, right? So you, you, you gotta, you gotta understand what they do and help, help leverage it. So in the innovation ecosystem, I think it's the most important thing is really just asking a lot of questions, networking as much as possible, finding out how you can help others and, and, and really uh, getting to what's important, asking people what they're trying to solve for, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think those are great points, Marty. And, and you know, I, I've come to realize that, and, and I think a lot of um, corporations, a lot of innovators, a lot of startups have realized this, is that you, you need to be collaborating in order to be successful. It's just so difficult to, to kind of say heads down behind a wall in your own lane, in your own zone. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is you're, you're in a big company. You know, we have 53, 54,000 people in our company, and we spend a lot on innovation. But 99.9999% of innovation taking place in the world is taking place outside of our company. We don't, we, we can't control that innovation. So, so it's yep. important inside to really get that core competency and that muscle, but it's really important to be connected to the universities, the schools, the community, the, the, the other corporates, the startups. I mean, so for us, we've we've really respect this moment and really understand that open innovation is a real core strategy of ours. And then we have the other thing we have inside the company called extreme innovation, where we try to get the 53,000 people in the company activated that if they have got something to contribute, they're part of this journey. So we can facilitate that's, that's that. That's interesting. So how do you how do you do that? That I mean, extreme. It sounds extreme, right? Fifty three thousand people activating them all to be innovators and, and building that culture of innovation. Like how? Like There's what, a few. What, hundred, what do you do? Yeah, I will connect you with with a with a colleague of mine, Mike Reynolds, who actually drives that. He's he's fantastic, and he's gotten value out of that. He's gotten we've 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 shown revenue, and some people have cut costs because they've innovated around cost models. So. You would actually like it, Ojal. I'll connect you with him. He's full of energy and knowledge, right? He's great. So he's what, <laughs> he's what I good. call a force multiplier. That sounds good. Yeah, it's always good to have more force multipliers. So, um, so you know, kind of thinking about because uh, we're going to be wrapping it up soon, um, and trying to think about kind of the future. Uh, obviously, I have uh, I have kind of two questions. One one maybe we'll tie into the other one. But in terms of Stanley, you know, you're 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 you know, again, 170 plus years old, you've been through these different kind of uh, uh, 
parts of the economy, trying to the innovations you're making the world right. We're you know making the future. So where is you know where is Stanley going? Where is the future of Stanley? Where and and so forth? Where is Stanley going? Because you talked about tools, but security access, and I've seen the stuff that you've done at District, and you know, kind of getting uh, getting into buildings differently. So it's like, where is Stanley in ten years? I mean, ten years is nothing compared to your history, but you know, we'll take it. We'll take it there. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, I, I I can't give you a high degree of specificity, but I can give you a a qualitative picture of what this looks like. I mean, it's a it's a it's a company that's going to continue to profitably grow. It's going to continue to become more inclusive, more diverse. Uh, we've done a lot in that area. There's a lot more to do, but we really believe uh, in the power of, of inclusion and diversity. It's going to be equally committed to the, you know, the, the communities that we, we live, work, and, and serve in. Um, but it's, it's going to be pushing the envelope. We have a, we have a real... Um, intellectual restlessness inside of our company to really push the edge and really look at what's what's possible and make what's possible probable uh, and work on those things so it's a fun place to be if you're not if you're worried about being um, disrupted or transformed it, it could be intimidating if you like uh, being part of the unknown and making it known it's a it's a great place to be. Yeah, that's uh, that's it. Hey, listen, as we all know, change is the only constant at this point, right? And it's the only thing you should really bet on. It is. But I had a, I had a friend of mine who told me once, the only person in life who, who loves change is a wet baby. Uh, so we all have to kind of get used to it, right? Yep. And uh, right. knowing, so I had a baby this year, so I, I totally understand, understand that. that. I, I fully understand that. So. <laughs> So as you think about the the you know next ten years, I, I, those are, those are good principles to kind of look at the future by. Anything you can share with us in terms of what the future of Stanley and Hartford looks like, and any kind of upcoming activities uh, or initiatives we should keep an eye out for? Um, I, I don't know. Um, you know, continued engagement, uh, continued interest, continued uh, inflection into the community. Uh, we have a real aspiration as it relates to innovation. Uh, we have targets in the next 10 years on a certain amount of patents. Uh, and we're a top leader corporately in terms of patents issued. Uh, we want to be a meaningful part of 10 ecosystems in the world. Those could be ones that we create. Those could be ones that are um, geographic based. Those are ones that could be thematically based that we don't have to be there, but really driving it. So we really wanna be in the front seat in a lot of those moments and helping drive those things. We're, 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 we're confident enough to, to ask for that opportunity, but we're humble enough to know that we really need to work hard to earn and retain that right. So there's a lot of humility in the company. And if anyone doesn't feel humble, we always are reminded that we need to continue to be humble and it makes us makes us more hungry in, in a in a um in the best sense of the word when you do new things you're at some point you're gonna you're gonna get pegged down a little bit you know so there's gonna be at some point where you're gonna run into a wall and say i am uh i, I don't know i don't know that answer <laughs> so. right that's right 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so in kind of wrapping this, uh, wrapping this up, Marty, uh, it's really a great, and it's great to hear that you're trying to be that corporate partner for ecosystems. And Hartford is great. You know, we're we're glad to uh, to have you, uh, uh, and so forth. And so, you know, one thing about this past year, you know, I know you had the question numerous times, and all the different uh, stuff you kind of worked with about how like how COVID's impacted your life, and so forth and so on. But I guess like uh, I'll just kind of end end. It's like how has the last year kind of changed your out out view? on kind of your your, your worldview um, or has it kind of uh, strengthened something about your world? Uh... I, I think what we realize is that we can work remote. We need to be in person in a lot of ways, but the implication of being able to do things remote is that we can activate talent from around the world. And I think one of the things that we want to do is to really make sure that the things that we're working on are so valuable and important and meaningful that people will want to be a part of this uh, from around the world. So I think you open up a talent pool that we didn't think, you know, before it was like, oh, you want a job at Travelers? You got to move to Hartford. Well, now we can bring in people from all over the place and, and they can stay there and we can make them part of our business. And it makes a better business the more different people you have involved and engaged. But the challenge is we got to, because people now have options everywhere, we got to become a really interesting place where people want to come. And I think that's, we're up for that challenge. We're up for that challenge. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things now it's almost like uh, people are interviewing the company as much as the per, the company is interviewing them. Right. And, right. and, uh, and you also want the people that really believe in the mission because it takes time to do this work. Uh, and you know, you can't have people coming in and out of an organization because you know, it takes years to, to real change, you know, when some of these larger companies, I mean, you're 50, you're 50,000, right. You just talked about a half a million people, but it's like, right. you know, there's different scales. But... It, it'll, it'll make companies sharper because employees have, I don't want to use the word power, but they have they have more uh, say in where they work, how they work, who they work for. So this, in a lot of ways, will will force companies to become sharper uh, in in how they do things. Which you know we're already doing all those things, but we, we can. The bar is always moving, and it's always moving in one direction. It's always going up. But again, I think it's good for the world. I think the I think there's some trends that I I really like coming out of COVID. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I think, uh, I think uh, uh, it's come up a few times now is that how Connecticut can uh, leverage the fact that we can attract more people or get people to, to work on our, 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 in our companies outside of Connecticut. So I think we're, uh, oh, Jala, I feel like it's going to come up in one more podcast. We're going to have to dedicate like a, a few podcasts about it. Well, that's a big thing. The, 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 the old model was live, work and play, right? Um, had all, all be in one place, but now, you know, you can live in Connecticut and work somewhere else and get the benefit of, you know, live and play because it's a great place. And then you got great places to work here too. So I don't know. I think Connecticut's really in a, it's coming out of the pandemic stronger than it went in financially. I agree with you, Marty. And I think there is a trust in government in the state of Connecticut that is significantly higher than it was 14 months ago, which I think is great. So, I mean, all this creates momentum. Momentum creates energy, and that's the life force of the universe, right? It is. 
Cool, cool. Well, uh, Marty, thank you very much for, uh, you know, uh, being on with us. Uh, I hope to, uh, you know, we it, it's it, one of these things and Ojala's living proof again of this is that we always come back to people because uh, when we talked to her first, she was at Reset, right? And now she's at Travelers. And so, you know, hopefully we'll uh, we'll be able to talk to you in the future about some of the other work that you're doing and maybe some of the other impact that you're doing in the other ecosystem. So, uh, and I appreciate you uh, coming on today. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks to Ojala too. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. When starting a podcast, one step in the journey is landing a sponsorship. And in 2021, CT Startup is thankful to have two sponsors. One of those sponsors is Connecticut Innovations, or as some people know it, CI, an organization that has been a key player in turning Connecticut into a hub for innovation. In 2020, Bloomberg ranked Connecticut as the fourth most innovative economy in the country. And CI is one of those organizations here in Connecticut that can take credit for that ranking. CI is Connecticut's strategic venture capital arm and is the leading source of financing and ongoing support for innovative, growing companies. By offering equity investments, strategic guidance, and introductions to valuable partners, they are enabling promising businesses to thrive. For more information on how Connecticut Innovations can work with your company, please visit their website, www.ctinnovations.com. Thank you for listening to CT Startup. More Connecticut startup news, information, and events can be found at ctstartup.com. The weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and ctstartup.com. See you next week.